Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. Celeste, have you heard about Google's recent move concerning user location data? Are you referring to the shift in storing location data on users' devices instead of Google's servers? That's it. This move effectively ends the practice of geofence warrants, which law enforcement agencies have been using to tap into Google's vast location data banks to identify potential criminals. Right, these geofence warrants allow police to demand Google to turn over information on which users' devices were in a certain geographic area at a certain point in time. But critics argue it's unconstitutional, since it can also include data of innocent people who were just nearby when a crime was committed. Exactly. And even the courts can't agree on whether these warrants are legal. But with Google's new move, police will have to seek a search warrant to access a specific device, rather than asking Google for the data. Which could be a big game changer. It's interesting to note that Google's not the only one subject to these warrants, but it has been the largest collector of sensitive location data. This practice was first revealed in 2019, right? Yes, and Google's location data has been a huge part of its advertising business, which brought in about 80% of Google's annual revenues in 2022. But what's more concerning is that this surveillance technique is thought to be far wider. Law enforcement later expanded its demands for location data to other companies like Microsoft and Yahoo. And the number of legal cases involving these geofence demands have skyrocketed. I remember reading about how police in Minneapolis used a geofence warrant to identify individuals who attended protests following the police killing of George Floyd. And there were fears that this data could be used to identify people seeking abortions in certain states. It's a serious concern. And while Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo backed a bill to ban the use of geofence warrants in New York, the bill failed to become law. Google hasn't disclosed how many geofence warrants it's received in recent years, but the one disclosure it did make showed a sharp increase in the number of these requests. So, this move by Google to store location data on users' devices is being met with cautious praise. But there are still other ways Google can turn over sensitive personal data on its users, right? Right, like reverse keyword warrants, which law enforcement uses to identify Google accounts that searched for a specific keyword in time. Google hasn't said if it plans to close this loophole. And while geofence warrants might not disappear overnight, Google's decision could significantly curtail this surveillance loophole. It's a step in the right direction, but it seems like there's still a long way to go. While we're on the topic of technology, let's shift gears from data privacy to a more playful side of tech. From Google's steps to protect user data, we now move to the world of AI and its influence on children's toys. A certain Canadian musician is making a splash in the toy industry with her AI-integrated plushies. Let's dive into this interesting venture. So Celeste, you're familiar with Grimes, the Canadian musician? Of course, James. And her recent venture into the toy business with AI plushies named Grok, Gabo, and Grem. Quite an interesting move. Indeed. It's important to note that Grimes Grok is not affiliated with her ex, Elon Musk's AI chatbot, also named Grok. Rather than being a rebellious AI, Grimes Grok and its siblings are designed to encourage play, right? I read about the conversation she had with Curio founders Misha Salee and Sam Eaton. 
Grimes seems to be all about stimulating creativity in children through dynamic conversation. Exactly. She wants to make imagination more accessible in children's lives. And these toys, they're not just static playthings. They can hold full conversations, helping kids and even adults practice their communication skills. The toys are quite unique, aren't they? Grok, the rocket ship voiced by Grimes, Gabo, the plush Game Boy, and Grem, the cyan bunny. And they're priced at $99 each, right? Yes, and they're recommended for kids aged 3 to 7. Each toy is Wi-Fi connected with a speaker and mic, and they're linked to an app that allows parents to monitor interactions. Grimes' vision is to replace iPads with these toys to preserve... Children's minds, I get it. It's a noble cause, and the more verbal the interaction, the more it stimulates working memory. It's a refreshing approach to children's toys. It is. Grimes got involved with Curio after responding to a post about AI-integrated toys. She loved the idea of her kids having a culture ship mind in a teddy bear. But there's this interesting overlap, isn't there, James? Grimes' grok and Musk's grok? Yes, a bit of a funny coincidence. But as it turns out, Grimes' grok was trademarked first. Curio filed its trademark for Grok on September 12th this year, and XAI filed theirs on October 23rd. And Grok is short for Grocket, since Grimes' kids spend a lot of time around rockets. Quite fitting, considering their father owns SpaceX. Certainly. Despite the ongoing custody battle between Grimes and Musk, it seems Grimes is focused on creating a positive and creative environment for her kids. She even joked about the two Grok AIs becoming friends. It's all about making the best out of a situation, isn't it? I'm eager to see how these AI plushies will reshape the world of children's toys. From innovative AI toys that stimulate creativity in children, we now turn our attention to a different kind of innovation. This time, in the realm of technology and the ever-evolving landscape of the startup ecosystem. Let's delve into the age-old debate of iPhones versus Androids, recent shifts in the Indian startup scene, and the latest advancements in artificial intelligence. So Celeste, ever compared an apple to an orange? Can't say I have, James, but I've often found myself comparing iPhones to Androids. Ah, the age-old debate. Well, it seems Apple is making a move towards universality, phasing out the lightning connector for USB-C. But it's not all sunshine and roses, especially when it comes to iMessage. Right, that's been a long-standing issue for Android users, and it seems any attempts to bridge that gap, like the Beeper app, are quickly shut down by Apple. Exactly. It's a stark reminder for startups not to tie their success too closely to the whims of a company they can't control. Speaking of startups, let's dive into some recent news in the ecosystem. Oh, I saw this. Omidyar Network is pulling out of India after 13 years, isn't it? Quite the plot twist, considering their recent investments in public engagements. Indeed, it's left many in the Indian startup scene perplexed. And it's not the only concern. Indian startups have raised about $7 billion this year, a considerable drop from $25 billion in 2022 and $37 billion in 2021. That's quite the decrease. But it's not all doom and gloom. For instance, OpenAI is making a bold move towards India's AI scene with Twitter India's ex-chief, Rishi Jaitley, as their local representative. Yes, and speaking of AI, Sarvam AI, an Indian startup, has raised an impressive $41 million in funding. They're focusing on full-stack generative AI offerings, particularly in Indian languages and voice interfaces. And they're not the only ones making strides in AI. Google launched Gemini, which is powering a lot of its AI efforts. 
They also released AI Studio and announced AlphaCode 2, along with a major update to the chatbot platform Bard. Not to mention Google's Pixel 8 Pro, powered by the AI model Gemini. This phone is making others look outdated with features like an AI summarizer and a smart reply in Gboard. And all of this works on device, so you can be AI enhanced even when you're offline. That's impressive. But what about the startup scene in general? It seems early stage startups are enjoying better valuations and more cash flow, while scale-ups and unicorns are facing tougher times. That's true, but fintechs are still leading the pack. New unicorns like Tabby and Enable are emerging, and Simply Homes is making waves in affordable housing. It seems the startup world is favoring the young and agile. Interesting. And what about the operational side of things? I've heard that while tech advancements are crucial, efficiently managing the nuts and bolts of a company can give them a real edge. You're spot on. It's important not to lose sight of the fundamentals. And speaking of fundamentals, are startups ready for the fundraising season in January when VCs come back from their December breaks? I guess we'll have to wait and see. And what about Austin? It seems the city's tech allure might be fading a bit with Techstars pausing its Austin chapter. Yes, it seems rising housing prices and other factors are making Austin less attractive for tech startups. But let's not forget the podcast world. Spotify laid off 17% of its company and two highly acclaimed shows got canceled. It seems the podcast boom might be over. That's a significant shift. And in the auto industry, Lucid's CFO, Sherry House, is leaving the company. Even Hasbro is laying off employees, hoping to save about $350 million to $400 million in costs by 2025. Indeed, it's a time of change and adaptation for many. But as always, the startup world continues to evolve and surprise us. As we continue to explore the ever-evolving landscape of startups and technology, let's shift our focus from the general scene to a specific yet critically important area that has long been underrepresented. It's time to delve into a topic that's been under-researched and underfunded, yet affects half the world's population. Let's talk about women's health. Celeste, I've been reading up on a topic that's been under-researched, underfunded, and underdeveloped since, well, forever. Women's health. You're right, James. Historically, research into women's health has been limited to areas like cancer and fertility, with less attention paid to everyday issues impacting women's quality of life. Exactly, and it's not just about the lack of research. There's a complicated relationship between physicians and founders in women's health. For instance, it was only 30 years ago that the NIH Revitalization Act of 1993 required the inclusion of women and ethnic racial minorities in clinical trials. But even then, these trials weren't necessarily designed from a woman's perspective. I see what you mean. And it's not just about the trials, it's also about the treatments. Take oral contraceptives, for example. They're used for everything from preventing pregnancy to treating heavy or irregular cycles, endometriosis, PMS, and even acne. It's like a one-size-fits-all solution. And that's a problem. After 60 years, why is birth control still the go-to treatment for all these conditions? It feels like we found something good enough and then failed to invest in understanding the actual causes and finding targeted treatments. And then there's endometriosis, which causes debilitating pain and heavy bleeding for more than 10% of women. But there's still no non-invasive way to diagnose it. And women often have to endure these symptoms for an average of 10 years before a diagnosis is made. 
it's truly unacceptable. It's a tragedy, indeed. And let's not forget about women's sexual health. Despite making up 51% of the population, women's sexual health continues to be shrouded in embarrassment and shame. It's in stark contrast to men's sexual health, for which there are dozens of FDA-approved medications, plenty of resources, and even advertising during the Super Bowl. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Women have been suffering silently for years, but that's changing. Women are raising their voices, asking questions, and demanding answers. But far too often, they're met with frustration and a lack of understanding from their physicians. And this is where startups in women's health are stepping in. They're responding to this frustration and creating solutions. But they're also facing challenges, like a lack of funding and the need for more data to support their interventions. This often creates a rift between women's health startups and the medical community, which could undermine the goal of improving health and care for women. So what's the solution here? How do we bridge this gap? Well, the idea is for innovators and physicians to meet in the middle. Startups need to include qualified medical professionals from the get-go to ensure that their ideas are supported by existing data and that their marketing messages don't drive a wedge between women and the medical system. And physicians need to be more open to innovation and rethink their role in it. It's clear that the system needs to evolve to better meet the needs of women. It's time to move away from the one-hammer-for-all-problems approach and start addressing women's health issues in a more personalized, comprehensive, and patient-centered way. And this can only happen if we foster collaboration between founders and physicians, rather than fostering an us-versus-them mindset. Absolutely, Celeste. And this isn't just about improving women's health. It's about setting a new standard for healthcare as a whole. 